Welcome in episode 99 of The Night Shift. Myself, Kagamard, and Mike Stubbs. You can follow along with the other 98 episodes of the podcast, whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on socials at Stubbs980 with two Bs, at Kyle Grimard, G-R-I-M-A-R-D. Uh, Mike, I apologize right now as my social medias are pretty flooded with a lot of Green Bay Packers stuff. Of course, the NFL uh, Week 18 window in Green Bay, a punch to a win to get in. So, listen, I, uh, I I apologize on that end, but it will be a lot more London Knights related because a lot of news. Uh, Mike, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's, <laughs> that's what social media is for. Your team gets in almost unexpectedly the way the season was going. Green Bay now has their quarterback for the next 20 years. So, what, it, it's gone... Bart Starr, Brett Favre, uh, Aaron Rodgers, and now they move into the Jordan Love era. I'm pretty sure there was nobody. Uh, Magic Man Don Mikowski was in there somewhere, but it, the Green Bay Packer fans don't like to talk about that. It's been basically four quarterbacks all the way through. Pretty impressive all the way. And now you bet your feed will be filling up with London Night stuff. Trade deadline day for overagers is Tuesday, January 9th for the rest of the league. It is Wednesday, January 10th, and we are going to talk about the London Knights and their nine-game winning streak, two wins last weekend over the Barry Colts, over the Mississauga Steelheads. We did see the power play streak come to an end. Max McHugh almost scored into an empty netter to keep <laughs> his his goal streak going. It didn't quite go, so that streak ends. Ruslan Gazazov took a shot where you never want to have a shot hit you, no. and that ended his point streak, and unfortunately it did it without him even – able to finish the game he missed Saturday's game but he's going to be okay but the win streak is there Denver Barkey has hit 20 goals we'll be talking about all of it the power play streak came to an end as well but 17 straight games with a power play goal so lots to get to but Kyle we've got to begin with the thing that is filling up every Knights fan's social media right now, and that is a wade into the trades that have been made. It's by no means a trading frenzy, although we'll get to some moves made by teams this past weekend and a pretty clear cut of some teams that have decided we're looking toward the future and others who are saying we think we can get something done now. But the London Knights have acquired Caleb Lawrence, from the Ottawa 67s, he is a massive human being, six foot five, goes about 230 pounds, draft <laughs> pick of the LA Kings. He's got quite the story where during the pandemic, he needed to find shoulder surgery after being injured at training camp with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Nobody was doing non-emergency surgeries, even for athletes. So that was quite something that he had to go through, but was able to fix up his shoulder. And you know what? Then he became a draft pick of the LA Kings and is somebody who knows how to use his size and is a big addition in every sense, Kyle, <laughs> up front. Yeah, you know, he really is. And, you know, Mike, we mentioned it a little bit before off the podcast where he's a guy that I think the Knights are going to have a lot of fun slotting him into the lineup. You know, he's a left-hand shot. He can play center. He can play the wing as well, but he's not going to be thrust into a top, you know, line role or, or maybe even a top six role, but can play in that regard. Um, he is projected this year. If he continues up his pace from what he did in Ottawa over the first half of the season to be almost a 20 goal score, but you can put him into the bottom six. He is a huge net front presence as well. And I think the way that 
Dale Hunter is going to utilize him in this offense. It's a big body. And in addition that, you know, the Knights forwards, there's a lot of maybe on the, on the tone, smaller end guys, whether it is a Denver Barkey or Sam O'Reilly or, you know, Landon Sim plays big, but he's a little bit, but this is a big addition coming to this forward group and some much added size on top of players like Jacob Julian, for example. So I'm very intrigued as to where they're going to use him, whether they use him in a center position role, maybe they throw him off on the wing because they like their center depth. Sam O'Reilly has been really good. Julian has played some center as well. Barkey has been great down the middle. So I'm very, it's going to be very interesting to see, but you know, it's not a lot. They're only giving, they're only giving up an eighth round priority selection uh, in 2026. And you know, it's an overage guy. So he will have a role in this team. It just, it's a matter of where. And Ottawa had a guy they had to move. There's a little game and this usually happens. And this is why the overage trade deadline is a day before the other trade deadline, because sometimes there's a little musical chairs that happens. So Ottawa had acquired Braden Kressler from the Flint Firebirds on the weekend. He's a Maple Leafs prospect, and that gave them too many overagers. You can have three. Now the Knights have four overagers, so the big question is, what do they do? They've got Michael Simpson, they have Max McHugh, they have Ethan McKinnon, and now they have Caleb Lawrence. Now the thing to watch here, Ethan McKinnon suffered an upper body injury six games into the season. He has not played in the last 30 games for the London Knights. And is there a question as to whether or not Ethan McKinnon is able to return this year? And we now have an answer to exactly how the London Knights overage situation is going to go. Following the recording of the podcast, the London Knights announced that Ethan McKinnon is going to be stepping away from hockey due to concussion-related symptoms. So a very difficult decision for Ethan McKinnon, playing for his hometown team, such an outstanding player, and he has decided to step away from hockey due to concussion-related symptoms. However, there is a bit of a good lining in this. Ethan McKinnon is going to remain with the London Knights as player development coach for the remainder of this season. So while he won't be playing, the Knights are now down to three overagers, Caleb Lawrence, Michael Simpson, and Max McHugh. Ethan McKinnon is still going to be a member of the London Knights. He just turns to the coaching staff as player development coach. And the reason that the league does this is they've had past years where because of trades, teams are left with that musical chairs of four overagers. They've had to release one who maybe could have played elsewhere in the Ontario Hockey League, and he wasn't able to play anymore in the OHL. So that's why you get it a day before. Now it's the Knights trying to determine what they want to do with their overage situation. Yeah, very intrigued. It's the next domino effect, like we said, with the overage uh, trade deadline being a day before the actual trade deadline. So, you know, this this won't be the last move, obviously. So we'll see where London goes from here. But they add some size up front, which is I don't know if it's something that they're lacking, but definitely something that they welcome to their lineup. Absolutely. You can never have enough size, especially size that comes with skill. And that's what Caleb Lawrence brings. Watch this guy along the wall. In a little bit, we'll talk about Sam O'Reilly and his work along the wall. But Caleb Lawrence, in setting up a cycle, and and 
You know, in, in regular season, sometimes you fly back and forth a little bit more on the ice. You tend to get into a little more of a cycle game, depending on who you're playing in the playoffs. That is where Caleb Lawrence excels. Fantastic in the cycle game. So a big addition. And that's something that works into the Knights' favor. We'll see if there are any more moves that are going to be made. But we had a chance to talk with Caleb Lawrence as he traveled to London, Ontario. His girlfriend was doing the driving. He was doing the talking. And here's how Caleb Lawrence feels about coming to London. Yeah, I'm definitely very excited. It's a team that I got to play a lot against, and I can't wait to be on the team now. Now, this is, like you say, a team that you got to see an awful lot. What is that like? Because you've made the transition already going from Owen Sound to Ottawa, and those two teams maybe don't quite have the rivalry that the Knights and the Attack have. How different is this? Yeah, this is definitely going to be a, uh, a different phase in my journey, but I'm definitely just really excited to get out to London, and uh, I'm definitely excited to play the Attack as a London Knight. Well, we understand that you and your girlfriend are on your way and she's doing the driving, so please continue to drive safely. But you mentioned that journey. You've had such an astounding journey, a journey with with some things that sound downright scary for a hockey player. Can you take us back to what you dealt with with the shoulder injury that you suffered and that played out during the pandemic? Yeah, definitely. I mean, everyone went through COVID and then... Uh... After that long year, I got uh, I went to uh, Columbus Blue Jackets NHL camp, and I busted my shoulder up and had to have surgery. So I missed my full third year in the OHL as well. So it was definitely a long two years for me. But uh, you know what? I'm healthy now, and I'm just looking to help this team win as much as I can. So I'm excited. Finding surgery for that shoulder must have been tough at that time. Was there ever a moment where you thought, I don't know if this is going to work out? Yeah, definitely. I mean, all the all the hospitals were were not uh, going because of COVID, so so I had to go over to uh, New York City to get it done. But luckily, it all worked out for me, and I was able to start my fourth year. Hey, that is the amazing part in all of this that you get to continue playing the game you love, and not only that. In that year, at the end of that year, you wind up being drafted by the L.A. Kings. Take us back to that. Yeah, that was definitely a, uh, a surprise. I didn't I didn't play a game that year and got drafted by L.A., so I guess they just uh, wanted to give me a chance. I'm a bigger guy, so I think that's what uh, drew them to me, and now I just got to show them that they, uh, they gave me a chance for the right reasons. Heading to L.A. for a training camp. You've been able to do that, right? Yeah, I've done that twice now. So what is that experience like, going to Los Angeles and getting on the ice? I mean, Londoner Drew Doughty is there, but getting on the ice and then walking away in flip-flops. So L.A. for that, and it's such a nice spot. and Yeah, it's definitely a great place to play hockey and a place that I definitely want to be in the next few years for sure. Caleb Lawrence joining us. The newest member of the London Knights acquired today from the Ottawa 67s. So were we right at about 6'5", 228? Uh, I'm 6'2", 225. 6'6", 225 now? Yep. Okay, six six. That makes you one of the biggest players. There's a couple six sevens, but it makes you one of the biggest players in the OHL. What do you think your size allows you to do? Uh, I think it gives me a lot more space on the ice. Uh, I'm going to use my size a lot to my advantage for hitting and protecting pucks, things like that, and also just to protect my teammates if if someone's running around out there. 
And not only that, you've got great hands. I mean, you're a guy that can dangle with the puck as well. The way the game is played now, how much of the cycle game, which you are so good at, do you find still plays into it? Uh, I think a lot. I mean, I, 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 that's how I create all my offense, by being down low and uh, protect the pucks, getting up to the point and get to the net. So I think that will really help me out. You've had the role, obviously, playing for the Owen Sound attack in trying to quiet Budweiser Gardens crowds where visiting teams will always say, you know the sound that we like when we come in there? We like when we score because then it goes completely quiet. Now, you ready to hear some uh, some cheers in your favor? Oh, yeah, I can't wait. I mean, it's never really worked out in my favor. I haven't won too many games at the Bud, but it's going to be a lot of fun being on the right side now. Well, here's hoping there's a lot of games for you to win at Budweiser Gardens for the rest of this year and the rest of the way. Caleb, drive safely the rest of the way to London. This city cannot wait for you to get here, and the fans cannot wait to see you play. Enjoy everything that is about to come. We really appreciate you taking some time for us. Yeah, thank you very much. New London Knights forward, Caleb Lawrence. And, Kyle, he gets added into a team that right now is on a nine-game winning streak. Well, yeah, and, you know, we brought this up on the last episode, too. You know, this all-winning streak essentially started after three of their top four point-getters were off at the World Junior Hockey Championships. Easton Cowan, Oliver Bonk, and Casper Halton, and not to mention, for a couple of games, Denver Barkey, who was at training camp before being sent back to London, all missed some time, and after a very narrow loss against the Sioux Greyhounds on the road where there was a controversial goal and a very close finish have found a way to rattle off wins and it's different guys stepping up. We saw player of the week and player of the month awards going out to Sam Dickinson and to Ruslan Gazazov. Sam O'Reilly has been hot lately. Uh, Denver Barkey, when he came back has really, you know, done an amazing job stepping up as well. And it's just different guys every single time. And we're slowly starting to see what we were expecting at the beginning of the year to see how this team fared out, where the depth was going to come from, which guys were going to fit into which roles. And there's, they're really in a groove right now. They are. They've won nine in a row. And as much as they got a good test in Mississauga on Saturday, once the Knights were up by two, you sense that they had control over the game. Now, Mississauga is this quick strike team where the puck can be in their end. Next thing you know, it's in your end. And whoa, hey, it's in our net too. And they did that twice in the game. This is a scary team, Mississauga, next year and the year after. Really, really scary team. Right now, they're still young. They're still learning. And the Knights did a good job. Owen Wilmore was excellent in net. The Knights were down a couple of guys again. Jackson Edward missed the game with illness. Ruslan Gazazov took a shot where you don't want to take a shot on Friday night, and he left the game. Unfortunately, that ended his point streak, and he didn't have much control over it. He didn't play on Saturday, but word is he's going to make a full recovery. But you're right, Kyle. It's coming from everywhere, and that's the mark of a good team. In junior hockey, sometimes you'll get teams that have one loaded line, and ultimately they're the ones that if that line goes cold, that's tough. It's tough to create offense. The Knights are getting offense from everywhere. You mentioned Sam O'Reilly. How about the rise of O'Reilly? 
if we go back to the start of this year, he was coming into this season and he'd had an outstanding year in the GOJHL with the London Nationals. He was on the GOJHL Western Conference all-rookie team, and he had seven points in his first 12 games. Then he had 10 points in his next 12 games. And now if we want to try and break it up into dozens, we got to go a little bit more. But he's got 17 points in his last 14 games. So he's now better than a point per game. And he's still doing all of the things that he does so well that you don't see on stat sheets. Watch Sam O'Reilly. If you want to know how to win a board battle, he'll show you because he doesn't lose very many of them. And he's still only 17. The way that he gets to pucks. And a lot of that is just, I want this more than you. The way that he does that is so instrumental in creating offense for his line mates and the flexibility, the versatility that we see on the London Knights. Henry Bristevich has been playing forward a lot, drops back on defense, seamless transition, has an outstanding game against Mississauga on defense. So that's that's just the the mark of a team that's hard to stop once you get into late season or once you get into postseason. So Knights fans should feel really happy about not just the fact that the Knights have won nine in a row, but Kyle, how they're winning nine in a row. Oh, and bingo. And you mentioned it exactly. It's the development of players. And this is, it's a trend every year with this team. And I I love watching because every year there's question marks about how, who's, who's going to be the guy who's going to step in and fill the shoes when, you know, the Connor McMichaels leave and the Evan Bouchards and the Adam Boakfist and the Luke Evangelista, Antonio Stranges. And every single year, guys find a way to step up. They start filling in. They start getting bigger roles. They start scoring more. They get more knowledge about being around the team and around the league and the coaching staff and the development. And it's, it is an absolute blast to watch. And, you know, Mike, let's talk about that. You know, they, they win two games over the course of the weekend. They go on the road Saturday into Mississauga in the second half of back-to-back. They find a way to win it as well. Denver Barkey, a big story in this one, getting his 20th career shorthanded goal in the OHL, leads the OHL in shorthanded goals this year. Denver Barkey has more shorthanded goals, Kyle, than 13 teams <laughs> in the Ontario Hockey League. He has six And shorthanded goals, the Knights have a lot of them. They lead the OHL in shorthanded goals. They have 16, and the next closest team to them is now starting to fade into the background just a little bit because for a while, the Knights were actually trailing the Niagara Ice Dogs. If you want to look at another stat, the Knights have more shorthanded goals than the Ice Dogs have power play goals this year. So so that's a weird stat, but when we look at, the stat overall for the number of shorthanded goals for the Knights have 16. Next on the list is still Niagara. They're at 11. They haven't scored one in a while. Sault Ste. Marie is at 10. And then everybody else is single digits. How about the Saginaw Spirit? They just got their second of the year. Now, shorthanded goals don't count for any more. It's not like we're talking about a three-pointer in basketball. But this is a weapon that the Knights have. And we actually asked Dylan Hunter about this. And the one thing that we wanted to know about was, how do you tell guys when it's okay to leak out to create offense or to go with the puck? A lot of teams will just say, hey, if we can get the puck out of our zone and down the ice, that's good. If we can skate it to the red line and shoot it into their zone, that's good. Kill off some time. The Knights will go creating offense, but there is some risk to that. Because if you're going to be creating offense at one end and it doesn't work out, 
you are heavily mismatched, sometimes five on three going back the other way. So how do you know when to do it? Rick Stedman runs the special teams on the shorthanded side for Rick Stedman looks after the penalty kill for the London Knights. And here's how Dylan Hunter described Rick's rules for the penalty kill. It's a fine line. Steady does a good job. I mean, uh, sometimes you can go, you know, you go a little overboard with it, right? And you don't get it out, and then you're you're, you're cheating, cheating for offense. So he does a good line of, of making sure they come back. Because if you guys want to go for it, you got to make sure you do, take the right chances. You know who has the puck, if he's under pressure, if he can actually make a play or not. If they start cheating too much, he goes, nobody gets to go out of the zone, and nobody gets to have fun trying to race the puck. And that's just the consequences of it. So as long as they're doing it smartly they're allowed to do it so you have to make sure the onus on the is on the guys and this just shows how heady some of the players are the hockey iq that some of the players on the london knights have knowing when it's okay to take that chance because if you aren't doing what you need to do you're gonna have an odd man rush back the other way and go back on the video We don't see a lot of odd man rushes given up by the London Knights on the power play. You're not seeing many power play breakaway chances being given up by the London Knights. So this is something that they've turned into a well-oiled machine, and it's counted 16 times this year. And Denver Barkey has six of them. Congratulations to him. He's now up to 20 on the year. And that is a heck of a performance. The London Knights did see their power play streak finally come to an end against Mississauga. They took advantage of Barry's penalty kill, which was bottom in the league on Friday night, scored a couple of power play goals. But this is going to happen eventually. It went 17 games with at least a goal. And Dylan Hunter even pointed to the hockey gods as helping out a little bit against Erie. You know, I told the guys two games ago, we got that one off the boot, off the skating. That, that's the hockey gods, so be friendly to them because they can take it away from you very quickly. You always want to be nice to the hockey gods because they can even things up. Erie put the puck into their own net for a London Knight power play goal on Wednesday. And so now you've got the Knights looking to start a new power play streak. They may have Casper Halton back in the lineup when they take on the Sarnia Sting. We'll talk about the Sarnia Sting in just a little bit. But, Kyle, yeah. we've got some trades to recap, and we really do see that line of who's thinking next year and who's thinking this year based on moves finally made over the weekend. Yeah, you know, and you're starting to, yeah, you, that, that line is definitely there. You know, teams that have made moves already. Peterborough has made a bunch of them. Flint, Barry, uh, Sarnia is another team that's looking ahead to the future right now. I'd still put the Knights roster up against anybody. I don't care, up against anybody. And I said this stuff back when the season began with all of the returners, with the lessons learned. Easton Cowan talked about this when he returned from the World Junior Hockey Championship. He says, you suffer a tough loss and you remember it. And that happened for Canada against Czechia. That happened for the Knights against the Peterborough Peets. He says, you remember it and you know what that feels like and you don't want to feel that. And so that's motivation for anybody who was in that championship series last year. So the Knights have that going for them. If we break down some of the moves, Andrew and Jacob LeBlanc have played for four teams now in the Ontario Hockey League. They have been traded from Kitchener, where they were drafted as a pair, to Niagara. They went as a pair to Sarnia, and they go as a pair to North Bay. Now, they are twins, and teams always try and help to keep those twins together. 
it's wild that Paul Christopoulos and Alex Christopoulos were members of the North Bay Battalion. They are twins. Alex ended up being traded to the Winter Spitfires, and they've spent much of their OHL careers apart. Matt and Ryan Rupert played together on the London Knights their entire careers. So those two in Sandusville, Manis, who always seem to come up big against the Knights, go to North Bay, and Sarnia gets a boatload of picks, and Alex Chaikovic and Carter Kostic, who was a great player for the Vaughn Kings last year, and then Flint traded Braden Kressler, who's a Maple Leafs prospect, to the Ottawa 67s. They get five picks, a second, three-thirds, and a ninth in exchange for an overage forward. Think about that. This is how high the prices have been. And they also included a third and a tenth rounder in that deal. But these are high prices. Ottawa picks up Samuel Maye. He's from Lorneal, which is a little bit east of Ottawa. And they spent three draft picks on that. So Ottawa gets a big defenseman. Peterborough sent Jax Dubois to Kingston. Kingston's making more moves than they've made maybe in forever. And the Kingston Frontenacs are starting to look like a team that is going to make a run for it in the East. And that would be great for them. That's such a good hockey market that just hasn't had enough to cheer about. And then you have Flint dealing Gavin Hayes to Sault Ste. Marie for four draft picks, two, three, four, five, Connor Clattenburg and Alex Kostov. So Sault Ste. Marie made themselves better that way in terms of production, getting a guy like Gavin Hayes who played for Team USA at the World Juniors. And Sault Ste. Marie also picked up Jacob Frasca, who Knights fans saw with the Barry Colts on Friday night and picks involved in that deal as well. So Sault Ste. Marie loading up. And then Londoner Charlie Robertson wound up going to Niagara. He's a goaltender, along with some picks for defenseman Bronson Ride. Uh, he's now off to North Bay. So North Bay has really strengthened themselves. North Bay is not going to have a lot left in the cupboard. This is their year. They have Don DiVincentis in net. This gives Charlie Robertson a chance to play with Niagara and look towards some big playing time next year when Owen Flores moves on. So Charlie Robertson, it works out for him. And North Bay is saying, we've got Ty Nelson. We've got Dom DiVincentis. We are going for it. Sault Ste. Marie hasn't really gone for it in a while. This seems to be their move. And Kingston as well. So makes it interesting. One of the things, Kyle, is is that a lot of these players are going east. So we haven't really seen Kitchener to <laughs> anything. We haven't. Uh, now, Sault Ste. Marie has. But we haven't seen Saginaw add a whole lot more. They did pick up Josh Bloom, a former yes. captain of theirs who they traded to North Bay. He was in the Canucks organization and he is now back with Saginaw and they had to trade Dean Locus to Mississauga in order to make room because he's an overage player, but they haven't made too many more moves as we record this. And certainly we'll break down any of the other moves as we have our next podcast, which will be a day after the trade deadlines are over and done with. The London Knights take on the Sarnia Sting, and that is their next game on Wednesday, January the 10th. And the Sarnia Sting have moved out some more players, but at the same time, this is a team that since losing 5-1 to the Knights has reeled off a 3-0-1 record. They pushed the Guelph Storm to overtime on Sunday, and this is all about their young players now. 
And Sarnia has created that culture. This is where you try and hang on to that culture that, yes, we are experienced. Yes, we are young, but they do have some great talent that they've shown off this year. James Barr is going to be an excellent defenseman in this league. Ryan Brown's going to score a lot of points in this league, but they're really young. They're only 16. They need to hang on to that culture. Don't let that we can still win drift away. And the Sting reeling off a 3-0-1 record without Sandusville Maddox, who was at the World Juniors, and now they're going to be without Andrew LeBlanc, Jacob LeBlanc, but they bring in Carter Kostich, and they also bring in a guy who doesn't have a lot of OHL experience, but is a solid defenseman from North Bay in Alex Chaikovic. That's not that's not a bad turnaround. That will work out well in their favor. So they'll still be a tough team to play. The Knights with a win can clinch the 402 rivalry series. So that would be for the second year in a row. All they need actually is a point to clinch the 402 rivalry series. It's the regular season series that adds up all the points between the two teams. So we will recap London and Sarnia on the next podcast. We'll recap the trade deadline. And we'll set up for a huge game between the London Knights and the Saginaw Spirit. That comes up on Friday, January the 12th. And then the Knights will be home to Owen Sound on Sunday, January the 14th. And so that is it for the London Knights and their schedule in the near future. Kyle, there's a really interesting thing happening, and we could probably spend four hours on it right now and not cover off enough. But Jim Van Horn and Trevor Whiffen, talked about this when we were in Mississauga. And it's something that could really change the way that things work as it continues to unfold. We've already seen things already. It is name, image, and likeness. When it became possible for the NCAA and its players to go after deals for name, image, and likeness, maybe the best way to put this into perspective is this. Caleb Williams is one of the top quarterback prospects in college football. And at one point this year, he was asked about coming out early, declaring for the draft, and basically said he would take a look at who it was that was going to be drafting him. And if it wasn't necessarily what he was hoping for, or maybe the situation that you know didn't work out in, in his estimation – he could go back to school and have no problem with that. Why is that? Making a lot of money at school through name, image, and likeness. And it's given players a whole lot of reason to look to the NCAA. And it's not just football and basketball in the NCAA. It's hockey. And we've seen a lot of American-born players come and play in the Ontario Hockey League. Will that continue to happen? And what Canadian-born players might look south of the border because those incentives are there. And right now, you can't play in the OHL and then go NCAA. Whether that rule changes someday, not sure, but that rule is in place. So this is really interesting. And I also look at it from one other perspective, Kyle, and that is if we are talking about the ability to make money, in other words, get sponsorships, for your name, your image, or your likeness, and we're doing that in sport, what does that do to a team game? What does that do inside your locker room or inside your dressing room when somebody maybe gets a car deal and somebody doesn't? Or when you want to put up as many points as you can so that you can get those deals, that changes things because putting up points is not always helping a team win or trying to put up your points is not always helping a team win. 
So we're at a really interesting place in the world of sports right now that's still shaking itself out with name, image, and likeness. It is so funny because there are so many different dynamics. And this is something that, you know, I've never experienced, of course, not getting to a level of professionals hockey or any other sport and seeing you know different players and some players who get paid who often get criticized because of how much money they're making when at the same time it's either one they've earned it or deserved it but two it's not really in your hands as a as a spectator or as someone from the outside looking in but you mentioned it with certain players, Mike, and, and a lot of guys that we hear about. A, a player that I've heard is beloved and was beloved throughout his entire career in the National Hockey League, but never really got you know payment or never really got that recognition, was a guy like Patrice Bergeron, who is a phenomenal player. I'm not discrediting what he's done. He's going to go, I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but was never really a guy that was overpaid always was a phenomenal two-way center and was never a rocket winner, was never a heart winner, was never, you know, any sort of, of league point getter or MVP, but was always a what, Mike? A Selkie winner. A guy who played a 200-foot game, who was beloved by his team, and honestly was one of the most beloved hockey players throughout the entire sport for his entire career. I mean, that's just one example right there, but... You know, it's it's a very fascinating take on the world of sports and where sports is now and salary caps going up and other sporting worlds that don't have a salary cap and athletes are, are at a point making astronomical money and other athletes are, are just trying to do their part and, and be a good team player. And it, it's a it's a very interesting topic that I I'm very excited to hear more about. Well, let's do that then, because Jim Van Horn and Knights Governor Trevor Whiffen had a great conversation about this, and Trevor's got great insights given all the experience he's had in sports and his experience as a lawyer. So they sat down and talked about name, image, and likeness, and a few other things in a conversation over the weekend. Knights President and Governor Trevor Whiffen joins us, and I believe who someone who would be a great commissioner, and once in... Every 45 years or so, the league looks for a new commissioner. How's it going? Uh, what's uh, going on with that job search? Well, thanks for having me on this show, and thanks for those kind words. And uh, We have a great commissioner, and we've been blessed to have an excellent commissioner for 45 years. David Branch became our commissioner in 1979. That's an wow. incredibly long time ago. He started uh, the OHL. There was the Ontario Major Junior League before that. He started the OHL in 1980, but he took he's taken us from a 12-team league to a 20-team league that is widely considered as the best development league in the world. And when you look at the metrics, it's pretty amazing. We had 197 OHL graduates on NHL rosters on opening day this year. We had another 150 in the American League and 228 playing in youth sports. And no doubt others in uh, the East Coast League and over in Europe. So that's pretty remarkable. Dave has done a great job of building this development league, and he's been a leader in the sports too in terms of concussions and drugs and player safety and all sorts of things. Too many Mental health. Mental health, respect for women, yeah. all sorts of things. Dave's been a leader, and we're going to miss him. Agreed, agreed. A tough job. Um, Memorial Cup is in Ontario, sort of, this year as one of your member clubs is hosting. How's it going in Saginaw? Good. Uh, this is the first time that an Ontario Hockey League team has hosted the Memorial Cup outside of Ontario. It's been hosted out west four times, but not since 
1998 when Spokane had it. So this is a big deal to send it out of the country. But I'm confident that Saginaw will do an excellent job. Craig Goslin, who has has served for four years as our chairman and is the chairman and governor and president of Saginaw, he's a real go-getter. He's a leader. He's a visionary. He's doing all sorts of things to raise the profile of the OHL and the Memorial Cup in Saginaw. They're doing massive uh, arena renovations that are going to be great for their team on a going forward basis and they have a lot of legacy projects that they're uh, undertaking in Saginaw which will be good for the community going forward so he'll do a great job we'll sell it out it'll be a fabulous show as it always is. Trevor Wifford with us, Knights President and Governor. Issues of the day, NIL, name, image, and likeness. Um, uh, tell us about how the Supreme Court decision in the U.S., which gives athletes more control over uh, making revenue off their name, image, and likeness, is going to affect the CHL. That's a great question, and I guess the answer is we don't really know yet. But just to back up a bit about that decision, uh, in uh, 2021, I guess it was, the U.S. Supreme Court uh made a ruling that said NCAA players would not be violating their amateur status and their eligibility to participate in the NCAA if they uh, capitalize on their name, image, and likeness. Prior to that, an NCAA player, if they even so much as accepted a free lunch or a free breakfast somewhere, could have technically violated their NCAA eligibility and be ruled ineligible. As a result of that, Canadian kids are kids that are considering our league as an option, NCAA as an option, um, could not go to the NCAA if they had if they had even attended an OHL camp for more than 48 right. hours or played one game, even an exhibition game, because the NCAA took the position that if you had done that, you were playing against and playing with professional players, because we have kids who have been drafted and signed contracts, so you... You violated your NCAA eligibility. Well, I don't know how the NCAA could possibly say that now with a straight face when you have the quarterback of Notre Dame earning a million dollars. And why is he getting it? He's getting it because he's the quarterback of Notre Dame. The quarterback from Ohio State uh, indicated two weeks ago that he's going to transfer through the transfer portal, which is another issue in the NCAA, to Penn State and immediately got a big, you know, uh, decked out Ford F-150 from the official car supplier of the <laughs> Penn State Nittany Lions. So it's a re- it's like a free agency down in the U.S. Right. for in terms of capitalizing on your name, image, and likeness. And the the transfer portal, I think, is odd. Like players are allowed to transfer now. Like it used to be that if you're in the NCAA and you want to transfer schools, you had to sit out a whole year and lose a year of eligibility. Now you can transfer from one school to another. And there doesn't appear to be any limit on how many times you can transfer, how many teams you can play for. So, it's kind of crazy down there. What are your op? What are you? May, what may be uh, facing the CHL teams in well, this think, regard? I think we have to accept the fact that, uh, although historically we have maybe taken a position that players couldn't sign sponsorship deals uh, in your local community, because, for example, we would be worried about. Um, uh, potential deals being done to attract players to your your community and your team. I, we can't stay stand in the way of that. That is a U.S. decision, but 
and so technically we're not bound by a U.S. Supreme Court decision, but I think that practically speaking, we have to follow suit and do exactly what the NCAA is allowing, which is to allow people to character, uh, capitalize on their name, image, and likeness. And re- really, that's capitalism, that's free enterprise, that's fair competition, that's really how it should be. A kid yeah. in London that's having a great year, like uh, Easton Cowan, should be able to go and do a car deal with a local dealership if that's an opportunity that's available to him. Also, shouldn't a player be allowed to play in this league, not be uh, ineligible automatically um, from going to the NCAA, well, do exactly. both. And, and back in the 70s, and Jim, you and I are both old enough to vaguely remember the 70s, you could play in the OHL and then go to Harvard. Yeah. Go to any other U.S. school. That the Pooleys. I think it was the pool. Paul Pooley and Peter Pooley. Yeah, the schoolboy rule. It used to be that yeah. way. Uh, yeah, Gizmundi, I think, out of Hamilton did that. Uh, and I may be getting the name wrong, but you could go play for the Hamilton Fink Cups and then go play in the NCAA. And the NCAA put a stop to that because I think they didn't want all Canadian kids loading up in, in the NCAA positions, taking positions away from American kids. But also, uh, they wanted kids to commit to the NCAA at an early age and not come to the OHL. Well, uh, I just don't see how they can take the, the, take that position with a straight face now, given what's happening in the NCAA. So it's, uh, it's free market uh, freedom for all kinds of people, including women in women's sports. We were going to talk yep. about women's Title sports at the time. Uh, well, I'm, I'm thinking the professional women's hockey league for yep. the first time ever we have a legitimate league that has stability that has it's a it's a single ownership league so one guy out of la owns the entire league there's stability across the league everybody gets paid you don't worry about a weak sister pardon the pun uh bringing down the uh the whole league because they can't pay their players i think it's a great step forward and it's a great opportunity for women to finally capitalize on their name image likeness and skill sets the time goes too fast. Great stuff. Let's do Thanks, it again. Jim. Jim Van Horn and Knights Governor Trevor Whiffen. We'll leave you with those thoughts and that conversation, but certainly one that is going to pop up again. So trade deadlines, noon on Tuesday, January 9th for all overage players, January 10th for everybody else. And we will recap that and recap a Knights game against the Sarnia Sting coming up on our next podcast, which if we're counting and well, Spotify and Apple Podcast and Google Podcast kind of do that for you. It'll be episode 100, so a great one to look back on as we recap a whole lot of things that have gone on. Yeah, looking forward to it, Mike. And listen, appreciate everything. And uh, who knows, we might be coming back on Thursday with some pretty big news. Maybe not. Maybe it's quiet. Who knows? We'll find out. <laughs>